0: You're listening to 90.5 WKHS Warden.
1: When you think about the future, how are you spending your time? What problems do you want to solve? What career paths exist and how will you get there? Get the inside scoop on college and career options. Let's plan your future. This is College and Career Corner. Welcome to this week's installment of College and Career Corner. I'm your host, Andra Anderson, Senior Coordinator for Next Generation Scholars. Well, I am particularly excited for today's guest for a number of reasons. We have in the studio with us Dr. Michael Harvey. Welcome.
0: Hi, Andra. It's so great to be here. It's so great to be back at Kent County High School where me and my family have so many happy memories.
1: Yes, we were just talking about that before. The last time you were in this building, it's been Maybe six or seven years?
0: Well, my uh, our, our daughter Emma graduated in 2013, and our son Rowley graduated in 2015. So it may not be since 2015 that I've been in the high school. It, it's awesome to be back. It's great to see you here. I've known you for a long time. Wonderful to be sitting here uh, with Chris Singleton as well, saw Ken Hudock. Uh, and uh, as as Chris knows, I really love this this radio station, this working studio. You know, talk about a, a career corner. Uh, Chris runs such an amazing career centered program here, and it's so great that it's part of the high school curriculum. It's really, it's an um, it's an amazing resource uh, that Kent County has uh, here in uh, uh, for for our students, and it's just great to see Crystal <laughs> doing ever greater things with this program. Yeah, yeah. So in short, I'm really happy <laughs> to be here at the high school. Andra,
1: I'm so glad you're here today. So we, I actually, my freshman year of college back in 2000. Five, took my very first class with Dr. Harvey. It was a, so C&W, what was that, community? Community,
0: nation, world. That's been a, a long-time theme in the college. I have a feeling we'll be continuing to talk about community and nation and world today, Andra. Yeah. I remember you in that class. I remember the first day you showed up. <laughs> you were mature from day one, and, you know, you, you talk to people who like me who are college professors. Yeah, now I'm the provost of the college, but, but mm-hmm. you know, scratch me, I'm really a professor. I, I like working with young people and helping them learn and helping them grow and i like all different kinds of young people but i just i will say that um young people like you with such maturity such an interest in learning such a seriousness it's, it was just a privilege to to be there and watch your four years at the college.
1: Oh, that's so awesome to hear. I will admit I definitely took some courses just because you were teaching them. So <laughs> added a business management minor in there and uh, wanted to, to study history and American studies. And just kind of um, that's just the great thing. And I try to tell students that about college, you're just going to have all of these people who have these expertise they're they're experts on their topics and they get really excited about it and it's so refreshing to take a class with somebody who is really interested in the topic that they're teaching it just makes such a difference so i try to get students excited about that idea of you know you'll get to take classes from people who have been studying these topics for so long and are are also just interested to hear your input into them as well
0: yeah you know so, andre one thing that uh, young people listening in their families may or may not realize there's Uh, If you look at four-year colleges, there's kinds of two basic types of four-year colleges. There are the schools that emphasize research. And if you ask, well, why would they do that? Well, there's a lot of money in research. There's government contracts. uh, And a focus on research leads to a particular kind of uh, college experience and a particular kind of hire. Uh, Not surprisingly, schools that emphasize research. Uh, The biggest ones are called R1 schools, for example, Johns Hopkins and University of Maryland here in the state of Maryland. R1 schools, above all, Look to hire faculty who are very promising researchers. And you think, well, that sounds great. It is great. But what about teaching? Mm. Well, the teaching side is less important for R1 schools. And they, they spend less time trying to make sure that the people they hire are great teachers. Some of them are great teachers. There are some fabulous teachers at R1 schools. But by and large, the business model is set up to emphasize research with teaching as a secondary thing. The other kind of colleges are teaching first schools. Uh, like Washington College, and also in Maryland, schools like Goucher, Hood, McDaniel, Stevenson, Loyola, schools like that. Uh, Teaching first schools, it's not that we don't do any research, but our business model doesn't depend on earning millions of dollars of grants every year. So, yes, the faculty of schools like us in Goucher do research, but first of all, we look for young faculty members who are passionate about teaching, Mm -hmm. who love to help young people, who love to share their enthusiasm for a field you know chris would fit right in he has a passion for radio and it's just it's great to see him over a sustained period of time uh carry that on and pass that on to year after year of students and th- those are the kinds of people we hire at the at the college promising researchers people who are experts in their field but above all people with a passion for teaching so i i guess my the lesson for this for young people and families listening is from an undergraduate perspective, it probably makes a lot of sense to give a priority to teaching first schools. I think Washington College is really good <laughs> at it, but I'm not going to stint our friendly competitors in Maryland schools like Goucher and Hood and McDaniel, some of the others I've mentioned. Um, I would I would say, to, now, the, the disadvantage of a smaller teaching first school is that there might be fewer majors. If you want to major in archaeology, for example, sure, go to the University of Maryland which is where I went as an undergrad. It was it was a good, sturdy learning experience. I, I learned a lot. Um, but on the other hand, young people don't necessarily have to hyper-specialize and decide to major in archaeology. Mm-hmm. You can come to Washington College and study archaeology within the anthropology major, or really from any major. You can have great summer experiences. We have a summer field school uh, opportunity this summer, for example, that any interested student could could get involved in. There are so many advantages for a young person to go to a teaching-first school uh, that, to some extent, uh, that would be my simple advice to folks, not as as simple as come to Washington College. I mean, (laughs) I love my college. I love teaching there. It's a great school located here in Kent County, a really important part of the community. But leaving Washington College aside, I would, if I were a young person listening to their family, really focus on the teaching side of schools. And when you make college visits, go and ask. Mm. Go and sit in a classroom. The more large classrooms, the more large classes they have with 40, 50, 60, 80 students. Heck, when I was a grad student at Cornell University back in the back in the 80s, we had undergraduate courses with 800 students. Oh my goodness! 800 students. The teachers were great. There were these amazing, famous scholars, Ben Ginsburg, Ted Lowy in American politics, but they were performers. They were performers mm-hmm. on a stage. They were really good at it. It was a, it was a good class with a lot of great material but there was extremely limited opportunity in there for young people to ask questions, to learn from each other, to to make the learning interactive. And schools like us, Washington College, we really believe in opportunities for interactive learning, for young people to learn from each other. One of my favorite things to do over the years that I've taught uh, in organizational behavior, leadership, my first year seminars, I like to create space in my classroom for teachers to take the responsibility, for students, to take the responsibility of teaching. So in my organizational behavior class, all the students who've taken my class over the years know that Friday is their day. And that's a day that a team of students takes over, decides what to teach us, decides how to teach us, and if they suck, it was a sucky (laughs) class. But usually they don't (laughs) suck. Usually they're actually better than I am because they put their their heart into it and they really care about helping their fellow students learn something. And uh, I think that's in a nutshell what we do at schools like Washington College, small colleges. Great, dedicated teachers use their imagination to help young people learn about a field and learn in ways that are very active and hands-on and experiential.
1: That was one of my favorite undergraduate classes, organizational behavior. It was a little scary at first, thinking like, what do you mean I have to teach the class? Like, that's (laughs) not what I'm here to do, but it ended up being so valuable. And really builds I think confidence and I saw that in some of my classmates as well that I didn't think would be able to do it but they ended up teaching a great lesson and I got to interview some of the college leadership at the time and uh, Mila Dutka do you remember oh yeah, yeah. The old Mila short. yes I got to interview her about leadership <laughs> and that was that was a that was a, a fun interview but um, but yeah, that was that was a great class. So one of the things, I know you now with your role as provost and dean at Washington College, one of the things we like to do with our guests on this show is sort of take a little professional journey. We like to go all the way back to high school, if we could take a moment to do that. When you were a junior or a senior sitting in high school, what did you think you wanted to accomplish or what careers sounded interesting to you or what did you think you'd want to spend some of your time doing?
0: I'll go back further than that. I'll oh, go wow. back to like fourth, fourth grade probably. When I was very young, probably nine years old, I read George Orwell's 1984, and it has stayed with me ever since. And its its depiction of a, of a world of tyranny where freedom is scarce and in fact can be destroyed by uh, an evil government it has always stayed with me. I've always, from that book, taken the lesson that citizens in a democracy need to be vigilant, need to be active, and... That books are amazing. <laughs> you know, the experience of... Uh, and that's why, I'm, that's why I'm going all the way back, because my answer to your question really is about books. You know, every, everybody's experience is different, and different people learn in different ways. For me, I deeply believe in the power of a book. Mm-hmm. Reading a really, really good book is like a conversation with the author. And it's almost like a magical conversation, because if the author has done a really good job and written something really compelling, it doesn't have to be a novel. It could be a collection of short stories. It could be a play. It could be an essay. Um, When an author does something really extraordinary in their writing, they are making it possible for you to talk with them forever. You can Mm -hmm. pick up that book at any time. The world may change. They may seem old-fashioned in some way. There's probably stuff you know that they didn't know, couldn't know. But still, you're, in a sense, talking to that person. I love that experience, and it took me a long time, Andre, to figure out what I wanted to do, but I knew that I really cared about books, and I knew that I wanted a world where, yes, I could have friends and conversations with people around me, but that I would also be able to go and have conversations with my books, and I still do that. I still love reading. I still love this glimpse of how other people see the world. You know, everybody has their political point of view, their beliefs about about how the world works, uh, what shape the universe is in and why. And I have, I have mine just like others, but I'm so interested in the different perspectives people have. And so I knew that I wanted a life where I could sort of think about how we live together mm. and the choices that we make, some of them constructive, some of them destructive. On the positive side, how do we at- attain trust and collaboration? And on the dark side, why does it go wrong so often? Mm. Um, and... Uh, You know, we live in a the modern world is a very dynamic place. There are amazing success stories and amazing failure stories all around us. I'm interested in those stories, and I knew I wanted to study them. It took me a long time to figure out how to do that. So when I was in ninth, tenth grade, I think I I would have said I wanted to be a scientist. And (laughs) this is a little embarrassing, but when I hit when I hit college math in the form of a calculus class, well. I failed the class the first time I took it (laughs) and I failed it because I didn't know how to be a good student. Mm. I I didn't know how to be disciplined in my study. I thought I could just sort of waft into class and and do okay. And that's not, at least for me, that's (laughs) not how you have to engage with calculus. It took me about three (laughs) years to learn that lesson. I retook calculus as a senior and and did great because I was diligent in my study. But by then I had become an English major and I I couldn't have told you exactly why, except I loved stories. Mm -hmm. I loved books and stories about how people live uh, then after college, I drifted around for a couple of years. Um, I, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school, but that's a major commitment if you go get a PhD, and it took me a while to sort of work up to it. So I started graduate school two years after graduating college. Uh, that was a very difficult journey for me. Uh, a doctoral program is an intense, individual uh, attempt to sort of carve out your research path. and. Uh, uh, probably half the people who start doctoral programs don't finish. Well, I eventually finished, but it took me a long time. And by the end of it, I had a PhD in political thought. Uh, I got a job teaching in Wisconsin for three years where my wife and I uh, had, had, our, had our kids, uh, Emma and Rowley, who would end up becoming <laughs> a, a lo- graduates of Kent County High School, I'm very happy to say. Yeah. And while there, my interest shifted slightly to business. I got a master's in business. In December of 1997, I saw an ad in uh, uh, an academic newspaper for a business teaching position at this little school called Washington College <laughs> in Kent County, Maryland. I uh, thought, what the heck? I like Maryland. I had I'd grown up in Bethesda, Maryland. I was now living in Wisconsin. I applied. Uh, they liked me. I liked. I liked it here, and uh, so I got hired in 1998. And that, that's that's my path. Uh, there's there's more you could say, but I will say that those 11 years of Uh, doctoral school. That was was really hard. I do not recommend it. Most people finish in five years. That's probably a lot wiser, and if I'd finished in five years, who knows where I'd be, but how it's gone has, has kind of worked out okay for me, which I think the lesson there is there's a straight path, but some of the windy paths are not so bad when you go down them.
1: And that's something I think every guest that has come on this show has sort of kind of given a glimpse into it's not a straight narrow perfect path I mean you're going to take you're going to meet people who will help you see a different perspective and you're going to take maybe a course in college that will lead you down a, a different path or help you consider a different program or major or career or whatever it might be and I think that's important too there's so much pressure and I in talking with the seniors that they think they have to have it all figured out right now but that's just not the case you know it's more how do you how do you set yourself up as a learner you know are you disciplined those things will matter more than what exactly are you majoring in what classes are you planning to take that sort of thing
0: that's so true andra look there's no way that a young person can know where they're going to end up but you can know good ways to try to get there and good ways to try to get there are first of all to take yourself very seriously Mm -hmm. on the whole planet the person who cares most about you is you. I mean, I, this is I don't mean to say family's not important, loved ones aren't important. I'm very much of a family person. And boy, uh, do I love my family and my community. And and, and being a part of family and community are, are fundamental to my identity. But you are the expert on you. Yeah. You are the expert on what makes you happy. You are the expert on how you define success in life. Other people can tell you. Other people can give you advice or even insist that you listen to them. It's your choice how much to listen to them, and well, you know one of the things I love about uh, being in a being a citizen of this country is we have a very strong tradition that you, the individual, are the author of your life, mm. and you can interpret that in different ways. For some people, they criticize America because they see too much isolation, too much individualism. That is certainly a risk with a strongly individualistic culture, but there is also a tremendous value to it, which again is. Each individual person can look around at their place in the world and figure out how to proceed how to make sense of things and you know I I think with that in mind um, although you may not know where you're going to go any young person can know that first of all they should listen to themselves they should take themselves seriously Um, they they matter Mm -hmm. they have an authentic identity and that identity should be nurtured every single human being I believe this very deeply Every single human being is capable of greatness, is capable of unique achievements in the world that nobody else could do because nobody else is you. That doesn't mean that everybody can win a Nobel Prize or a Pulitzer Prize or become a millionaire, or, uh, but it does mean that everybody has greatness in them. And So I guess my, my starting point is take some time to explore who you are, listen to yourself, don't be too persuaded that your friends or your family or your teachers or your, or your ministers have you understood and have you pegged right. All they, see you, all they see is you on the outside, and you're the only person there on the inside with you. So uh, I think in terms of sort of thinking about your future if you're a young person, thinking about college and career connections, if you start with taking yourself seriously, trying to uncover your authentic self, I think that's a good starting point for figuring out what choices to make going forward.
1: I love that. It is so true. Everybody does have that, that kind of special identity and, and it's helpful to start with you versus what am I what am I doing in the outside world? Like start inside and that will help you figure out a path moving forward, which, and again, I, I keep coming back to this because seniors just have this pressure. They feel like they have to have it all figured out the moment they walk across that stage on graduation day from high school. But I could not have imagined I'd be working in education when I <laughs> crossed the stage. I mean, you you don't know. You just don't know what what different turns the right. Path is no, it's take. it's
0: so true. And then so w- what this leads to is it becomes really important to make connections with other people, mm, to yes. listen to them, and to learn from them. So yeah. even though I just said, you know, you got to start by sort of thinking about yourself and who you are and exploring that. A really good way to explore that is to start to understand your connections to other people. Yeah. That was certainly something I needed to do. You know, it's great that young Michael really loved books, but the downside of young Michael really liking books is that I probably spent too much time with (laughs) books and not enough time with other people, and that's that's been the the sort of that was the big learning journey of my twenties and thirties. And actually, even today, I'm now sixty-one years old. Even today, my learning journey includes really listening to other people, learning from other people, appreciating other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. I'm endlessly amazed at. Just the, the brilliance I see around me every day. And that's not just because I teach at a great college with great faculty members. There's there's brilliance in everyone you encounter. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite books, uh, it's an old book, probably none of the people listening to this remember this name. Studs Terkel was once upon a time a famous oral historian, lived in Chicago, and for a living he did what you're doing, Andra. He interviewed people. Ah. He talked to people and collected their stories. And he wrote amazing books like a book about working life, and a book about the American dream, and a book about World War II, and a book about race in America, all built out of interviews with just regular folks talking about their lives. And he he understood that there was so much wisdom to be gained by listening to other people. Because think about it, if we begin with this recognition that that you're the expert on you, other people are the experts on their lives. Yeah. And all society is, all a community is, is a bunch of people living together. It's a bunch of lives interacting. And that that's the the, the next thing that I want to emphasize in a young person's thinking about their future. Think about what sorts of connections you want to end up with. Or let me put it maybe differently. It will be important. Whatever you do, whatever your job, whatever your career area, meaningful connections to other people are going to be a huge part of your happiness. Some of those might be family and social connections, and some of them might be work connections, or there might be overlap. But make sure you're making choices that give you real connection to other people. I think in today's world of amazing technological change, as more and more of our of our hours in a day shift to social media mm-hmm. interactions with people, and of course with COVID, you and I are sitting here with masks on, yeah. <laughs> talking safely in the radio <laughs> studio, um, and that's totally understandable. Um, it, is, it is harder to maintain rich in-person connections with other people, and listen, I love technology, and I love what things like radio uh, or the internet make possible, but As evolved living creatures, we are hardwired to be healthier when we have meaningful connections to other people. You know, it's interesting. If you look at some of the harshest punishments we can impose on individuals, it always centers around isolation. The worst thing you can do to a human being is to isolate them from other human beings. Our brains are not designed to live alone. So the fact that so much of the modern world consists of us being alone and then seeking (laughs) to overcome that solitude by using technology to connect to other people, I mean, it's good that we're trying to connect, but it would probably be better to really connect. That's why I think a school like Kent County High School is so important. You know, in-person instruction of hundreds of students learning together, learning how to navigate each other, learning how to try to understand each other, learning how we react around other people you know I, I don't want to be all Pollyannaish and say it's always easy it can, high school is really yes, hard yes. You know? <laughs> and but that's because life is really hard and the saying that it's hard doesn't mean that it's bad it's just it's just hard and it, it's it's worth it engaging with other people learning to interact with other people and I guess I would say and this is not a political political interview but especially at a highly political time, it's probably wise for every individual to try to seek out every so often people that they know they disagree with. Yes, and be challenged. Yeah. Uh, yes, secondarily, you might change someone else's mind, but maybe more importantly, you might end up looking at the world differently. And you know, I think there's a lot of people walking around who are convinced that they're right, but they've never really subjected their beliefs to a sufficient amount of scrutiny and self doubt. I'm I'm a big fan of skepticism, which is to say, just asking, "Are you sure?" Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a learning tradition that goes back to Socrates in ancient Greece, you know, 24 centuries ago. And I still think it's the best foundation for deep learning about how human beings live, who we are, and how, how to make sense of our lives.
1: That's kind of what I associate you with. So I've had the privilege of taking lots and lots of classes with you on different topics. But one thing I think that comes into every single class is this idea of having the courage to ask hard questions. And that's the heart of becoming a leader, you know, asking questions that expose problems and spark change. I, I feel like that was that became a theme in every single class. And I, I loved that because it it encourages you to think differently and to I don't ask yourself the hard question of why do I believe what I believe and is that, am, am I okay with it? Have I ever been challenged with it? Has anybody ever proposed an op- alternative idea? That sort of thing. And that was always, that always got everybody talking. And I really, that was, that made the, the undergraduate experience for me was having the ability to have those conversations with uh, peers that I, you know, we had different backgrounds and it was, it was neat to be able to talk like that.
0: Under, that's why I believe so deeply that every human being has greatness within them. You don't need to be the boss to ask a good question. You don't need to have a PhD to ask a good question. You just have to have a spark of insight, and sparks of insight can happen to anyone. And actually, sometimes having the degree or having the high title makes it harder to ask those questions because so much of your life is bound up in bureaucracy or in going through the elaborate complex procedures of you know organizational life and sometimes it's the new student in class it's it's the it's the young person sitting by themselves who notices something maybe because they're different and you know difference is something that that is so valuable being different from others is It's hard in some ways, but it's so valuable because it may give you a different perspective on a problem or a situation Mm -hmm. that either people have a different answer to. They may not even recognize it as a problem at all. So that that spark of individual awareness, huh, this is strange, this is weird, why or what or where, those questions that any person can ask there, I call them the sparks of leadership. Mm -hmm. Asking questions by itself doesn't make you a leader, but... You can't actually be a great leader or a highly effective leader without having a disciplined approach to asking questions. And I'll just say a little bit more about that. The reason that matters is that ultimately organizations need leaders to help them deal with change and problems. If an organization had no problems, it actually doesn't really need a leader. It could make do with a figurehead. Mm. It's got its procedures. It's got its routines. Let's think about, for example, life before COVID, right? Oh. Life before COVID, <laughs> we, we, we kind of <laughs> knew how to do stuff. doesn't mean everything was perfect. But we kind of knew how to do stuff. When COVID hit, we were thrown into confusion. We have a brand new challenge. Everything about it is unknown. We had to do so much time. We had to spend so much time trying to figure out basic things. And even now, you see, in the United States, this has led to a great deal of disagreement about basic facts, how dangerous is COVID, how much of a big deal is it, um, what, what policies are the best, lots and lots of confusion. That, that confusion is a normal part of human life. When, when the world gives us big problems, by definition, those big problems confuse us. The answers aren't easy. Leaders are not the people who have a magical ability to point to the answer. Mm-hmm. At least I don't think so. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, leaders are the people who ask the questions that help the group find an answer and work towards an answer. And uh, that that question asking is really bound up in times of crisis, times of radical change. And those are the times that leaders are really, really important to groups when we're facing a crisis, when we're facing a, a deep, deep need to change in, in order to kind of to make it through whatever situation we're in.
1: I love that. And I it's like we want to empower young people to ask the hard questions and not be afraid to do so. Like I remember my first job working at Washington College as an admissions counselor, I would ask questions and some people that kind of ruffled feathers like, (laughs) no, no, this is the way we do it. (laughs) Uh But the people that didn't were the ones that I kind of gravitated toward and became my mentors like Kevin Kofany, for example, you know, he was like, well, let's try it. And that was huge to me as a young person to have somebody that was in the profession for many years say, okay, you asked a question, let's try to figure it out. So I, I hope that that sends a message, and maybe that will be our final piece of advice to young people to not be afraid to ask hard questions, Absolutely. even though you're the youngest or newest in the room.
0: It's I couldn't have said it better myself, Andra. That's exactly the right way to look at it. Your gift of asking questions may be one of the most important values you bring to any organization you're part of.
1: Mm. I love that. I feel like that's a really good note to end our conversation. Although I feel like we could go
0: on and on and on. I
1: love this. This I'll is have like, to come back. We haven't even I, talked
0: about Washington College I in the community. We're, we're doing all kinds of stuff in, in Kent County and on the shore.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Let's have you come back. That'd I love be great. it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here for coming back to Kent County High School.
0: Thanks, Andra. It's so great to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you, and we'll be back next week with uh, returning guest Beth Hallett from Chop Tank Electric, talking all about Youth Tour. So again, that's our new time at 10 o'clock a.m. to 1030. We'll see you next week.